American identity is situated on this social Darwinian ideology, survival of the fittest by any means necessary. You know, you have to become a winner based on self-reliance. Uh, and it doesn't matter really how you get there. Consciousness. The notion of the self. Personality structure. Transactional analysis. Symbiosis. Zen Buddhism. Teacher-student. Relationships. Training yourself in how to think. To subvert is to undermine the existing system of inscribed power and authority. What's happening in the digital space. The virtual world. Much of us live in a hyper-stimulated present where language itself has become the info currency in the sequence of corporate capitalism. The injunction of the virtual world is... The gatekeepers of our speech and written word are global tech monopolies. We cannot transcend or go beyond our lack through craving. What are we going to do? How are we going to live our life? The subversive therapist is about what the virtual world is doing to us and what we can do about it. Welcome to the Subversive Therapist podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Archer. Uh, Today, I want to talk about what affects all of us uh, technically living in the U.S., and that's uh, mass shootings. I've read a couple of books on mass shootings and suicide recently, so I kind of wanted to share that information. But I've also been reading this French sociologist, Jean Baudrillard. I think that's how you pronounce it. Uh, One of his books is simulacra and simulation so i'm kind of putting two two things together in a way with this talk on mass shootings and simulation um i've got a powerpoint that's pretty disjointed not really put together but that's what i'm going to kind of go off of and adding a little buddhist twist to this i have a couple quotes up one is from Rob Urey's book, Zen Economics, which really got me to start thinking about capitalism, uh, the ontology of capitalism, the psychology of it. And he says the Western self is the fundamental unit of concern. Just point blank, right on. Uh, And Bhikkhu Bodhi uh, wrote the book, The Noble Eightfold Path, that I just read. And basically the sense of lack in the, in the human organism, a uh, sense of not being good enough, anxiety, that kind of thing. It's due to what he says, the inherent unsatisfactoriness of existence. So no matter what's going on, from his perspective, because we pursue happiness, there's always something not quite right, or that could be better, could be improved uh, in some way. And so I think we'll come back to this in a way, the notion of the self and what's driving, I guess you would just call them horrific tragedies, uh, but also simulation. Uh, We've talked on this podcast about the virtual world, of course, but the self you can think of as a simulation because whenever you're describing yourself, you're basically describing these snapshots of your experience, memories, proclivities, uh, that are like a, you know, it's like a reel of, of photographs that you spin it rapidly, it becomes film and projected as a video. We mistake uh, that imagery, that simulation as reality, as, as something that's of substance internally, the self. And because of that, there's this chronic sense of unsatisfactoriness is what uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi says so again this this presentation isn't all put together this is the first go at it and i think i have a cold or allergies so we'll see if this one makes it onto the podcast or goes in the dump but i plan on speaking about this into the future and maybe this in a way is a prelude to um series three of the podcast so here goes Right now, it's July 2022. What's breaking box office uh, records in terms of the movies? Uh, Top Gun Maverick. Uh, This was, you know, of course, a big hit in the 80s when I was a kid. 
so our number one movie in the country that has his number one in terms of gun ownership, number one in terms of violence for uh, Western, you know, democratic industrialized uh, countries, you know, highest, highest rate of mass shootings, uh, Top Gun, you know, that sort of says it all about American culture. This is a, an elite school, the best of the best, is these fighter pilots go to and they're in competition to be number one. You know, it's all about ego and status and, you know, Tom Cruise gets the attractive um, professor in the movie. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to try and compare uh, these simulations to uh, what's happening with these mass shootings, and specifically uh, from this book called The Violence Project by Peterson uh, and Densley. What I thought was interesting, I've watched Top Gun Maverick recently, is that this sequel is just a simulation of the first movie, and that's kind of why it's interesting and good, is they have, you know, they're basically just redoing the first one, but Tom Cruise plays. Not himself, but he plays the, well, Maverick, Peter Mitchell, from the first Top Gun. So he actually doesn't change. He's the same person, even though it's 40 years or whatever later. But that reinforces what Yuri's saying, is that self is this solid, uh, continuous thing across time. So you don't actually change. You're the same person. Pete Mitchell is the same maverick back when he's 20 and when he's 60. Same thing. Uh, the quote I pulled from the Violence Project is, it says, In America, we admire winners, and winning in America is counted in dollars and social standing. A series of humbling cultural and economic shifts has left some of the longstanding winners in American society feeling humiliated and victimized, unsure of exactly where they fit in, longing to win again. I think, of course, the authors are pointing to the white uh, working class who have been fed this myth of the American dream, and now they're becoming uh, the minority uh, race status in the country, soon to be. Um, and it points, of course, to the mass shooters that we'll talk about, is they feel like victims, um, not in the oppressive sense, but the perception of victimhood that we'll talk about. And so essentially they're, they feel like losers. And the only way to win in our society is to be the top gun. And a gun creates a feeling of power, a power over uh, the other. So that's kind of what I want to get into here is seeing how much this rugged individualism the U.S. is... Um, instantiated in uh, the virtual world, but as we are sort of in a, in what Baudrillard would call hyper-reality, where they're real and virtual, it's impossible uh, to make a distinction, and actually the virtual, it, it feels more real than reality itself. So at the sort of ground level of transactional analysis is this idea of existential life positions so by the time you're a little kid we tend to adopt a certain life position based on our experiences um, our attachments uh, to parental figures that kind of thing and the successful or getting on healthy position is I'm okay you're okay that's the the philosophy that humans are fundamentally the same there aren't good people and bad people there aren't crazy people and not crazy people is that we all you know, from a Buddhist perspective, we all suffer. We all have this sense of unsatisfactoriness that I mentioned, or this sense of not okayness. Uh, and that's in the book, I'm Okay, You're Okay by Thomas Harris. He hits on that point over and over again. No matter what our experience is, we have this sense of lack. Um, and we try and acquire and obtain in order to um, transcend that lack, but it doesn't work. Uh, because you can always get more, you can always have more money, be the top gun, that kind of thing. So the arrogant position is, I'm okay, you're not okay. This is uh, classic Trump 
psychopath, sociopath, but it's an arrogant uh, position because I'm better than you. The third one is uh, what Byrne refers to as the depressive position, and this is, of course, plaguing uh, the people uh, that are both, quote-unquote, winning and losing in Western society, and that is, I'm not okay, you're okay. I think it has to do with the virtual world about the constant social comparison. You can always find people that are better looking than you, that are smarter, that are uh, more physically fit, more money, success, etc. So you're in a one-down position, uh, and that makes you feel hopeless and helpless and, and depressed. Okay, finally, I'm not okay, you're not okay is a futile uh, position, and I think of Biden. Uh, in this sense, he doesn't present anything about himself or his ideas or things that he could change about the country or what he would do. He adopts the frame of reference that's presented to him, and then he comments on that. Uh, but think of his American Rescue Plan. He treats the citizens, um, you know, not his donors like Silicon Valley, but the citizens as not okay. They need to be rescued. That's that's what this existential position um, orients towards in terms of a role. Uh, I mean, where the country is at now, it, it speaks to a kind of futility, uh, stagnation. Uh, his father went bankrupt when he was a kid, and I wouldn't be surprised if the dollar is dropped as the world currency before he's out of office or before he passes away. That's a cynical view, but... Um, so you can think of I'm okay, you're okay in terms of life position, but then you can also consider not just, you know, people that you're, you know, talking to or associated with their level of okayness, but what about they? So I'm okay, you're not okay, that arrogant position, but what if they, like Trump would talk about immigrants and shithole countries and all this stuff. He would say that they are also not okay. And Eric Byrne in his book, uh, What Do You Say After You Say Hello, uh, one of his last books before he died, he said that that position, I'm okay, you're not okay, they're not okay. Um, This is a quote, everybody must bow before me and be as much like me as inferior people can. So if, if Trump really represents the the kind of ideology of American culture and the aspiration in, in some sense, uh, not for Trump specifically, but to basically to have your own billion dollar brand. I mean, think of like shows like Shark Tank. Well, that suggests that you're winning. Uh, whether you like Trump or not, he in the, in the kind of media eyes, he's he's won. Maybe now that January 6th happened and everything, that's that's changing. But Certainly his show, The Apprentice, you know, he's the the top gun to keep using that um, reference. And the reason I, I brought this into uh, the podcast on this specific episode is because I think that's what these mass shooters are embodying in the act of the mass shooting. I'm okay, you're not okay, and they're not okay. So um, because these mass shootings, the victims are are um, are not picked out. They're not people they knew. It's they know it's all indiscriminate violence. So because everyone is not okay, um, that that sort of gives license or authorizes um, these mass shooters to destroy them. And of course, it's about power. But so if you think of I'm not okay, you're not okay, or excuse me. Uh, if you think of I'm not okay, you're okay, uh, that's what they call um, despair in transactional analysis, that position. I'm not okay, you're okay. You know, I mentioned before depression, but it can also be despair, and that, that's what I think most people are grappling with. Uh, but, but think of this quote. This is from an article uh, by Solomon uh, in 2003 on transactional analysis. Uh, and we'll tie this to the mass shooters themselves, but if a child is treated badly or abused, this may result in his or her feeling helpless, powerless, and angry, and he or she may move into a position of believing, I'm okay, you're not okay. 
So because of the despair they've experienced, they move into this Trump-like position. Such an individual may build a life on this angry position and continually prove to himself or herself that others are not okay. This position involves a lack of trust in others and makes it difficult for the person to form and maintain intimate friendships or relationships. So most of us are probably familiar with um, the concept diseases of despair, and that's where we're talking about suicides, overdoses, um, you know, kind of reckless uh, behavior that leads to uh, death um, these days. And the, the rates, of course, are astonishing in, in the United States. But based on what I just read about this position of I'm okay, you're not okay, now listen to what Peterson and Densley um, say about mass shooters. And they have this database, and I'll go into some of the details, but extensive amounts of information of uh, mass shooters, mass shootings, um, etc. that we'll talk about. So they say, mass shooters are angry and lonely, and many of them fixate on specific people or groups they can blame for their own miserable circumstances. So what I'm saying in this victim uh, position, school shooters blame their schools, workplace shooters blame their bosses and co-workers, others blame racial groups, religious groups, or women. Searching for validation for their hateful beliefs, mass shooters not only research other perpetrators of mass shootings, they, they talk a lot in the book about um, Columbine as being the, the template that most of these mass shooters uh, investigate research to plan their own shootings, um, research other perpetrators of mass shootings, but also spend time in online communities where they become more radicalized towards violence. So many of them are living in simulated uh, communities is what they're saying. A lot of times video games, but, you know, social media, uh, the Highland Park shooter, you know, made rap videos all day, that kind of thing. So I mentioned Baudrillard uh, in this book, Simulacra and Simulation. Simulacra means a copy without an original. And from listening to this podcast, you know, that the parent ego state uh, is borrowed or copied from your parents, but that's not the original. You know, even your parents' parent ego state is not the original because they were parented by parents who had been parented by parents and blah, 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 all the way uh, to the beginning of time. So it's a, it's a simulacra. That's why I talk to clients about, you know, this parent ego state isn't really real. I mean, it can be useful and used, in some ways and altered, but it's a simulacra. I mean, it's it's something that was conditioned into externally. Uh, similarly, the script, um, you know, this life plan that you decided up upon that is uh, simulated, you know, from what you were told by your parents, what you were forbidden to do, what not to do, you know, all this uh, programming that you received. So the book, The Violence Project, defines a mass shooting as four more victims, including the shooter, who were shot and killed with guns, and this is indiscriminate uh, shooting, wasn't loved ones or people they were targeting, at a public venue. So it could be a workplace, a school, a house of worship, or a restaurant. This idea of simulacra, simulation, the the mass shooter is researching and learning from these previous shooters who are learning from previous shooters. And, and there's all these commonalities around uh, these shooting um, events, tragedies. Um, and what I think is happening with media now, and this is taken from uh, Baudrillard's a different book, that's uh, titled The Gulf War Did Not Take Place. He's talking about the first Gulf War in the early 90s. Uh, is that the way it was presented on the media with this is when CNN started the whole 24 hour news cycle and made a bunch of money off of things like war uh, is that you you just get images um, and are, are constantly fed images about it. But it takes away from the reality of what's what's happening, and of course that um, authorizes ways of 
manipulating and and promoting propaganda, that kind of thing. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about why I think in, in the way Baudrillard described it, these mass shootings are not taking place. Uh, the way that we're consuming information about them rather than actually having an emotional process and connecting with the stories of what led up to these shootings, what actually happened for the people involved, etc. Uh, but part of, I think, the issue is um, the obsession with identity in our culture. This is what Emil Durkheim called excessive individualism, is what I've called kind of hyper-individualism. Um, and it, it moves the subjectivity of the event, which is a physical, cultural, and historical place, to a kind of armchair psychoanalysis of the individual to prove a motive. So it's all about... Uh, what was going on in this person's head? And were they mentally ill? Were they not? Did they buy the guns legally or didn't they? And what were they looking at on the internet? Blah, blah, blah. It just moves us with all of this this information flow. It moves us away from the the actual place of the event. Like when I was a kid, it was the the Waco, Texas, you know, tragedy, the Oklahoma City bombing. And these things you know, were talked about and discussed in very different ways for long periods of time, whereas now you're lucky if you stay relevant for more than a few hours with uh, digital technology. I think it's different than the television. Television has problems, too. And so I'll talk more about that. Um, so the real issue here is not so much about uh, mental health, mental illness, that kind of thing, but despair. That, that if you look at the histories of these shooters, they, they are, have been traumatized, most of them, almost all of them, um, and they don't know how to deal with this despair. And in transactional analysis, they say that despair is really a failure to dialogue with the world. And that's like a person's truth, their conscious reasoning, their understanding of what's happening. Um, and they talk about the adult ego state with this but if you don't have anybody a uh, meaningful friend mentor adult to talk to them openly about what you're thinking and and you know things like climate change or your own death or you know traumas anything if you don't have a way of dealing with that uh, you use passive strategies and there's four uh, broad categories of passive strategies uh, everyone probably knows the first, which is just doing nothing. I think you have some, you got a rash on your arm or something. And you say, well, I'm not going to worry about it. Um, over adaptation is the second. So you're overthinking, you're planning. So you got a rash on your arm. Oh my God. Uh, what if it's cancer? Uh, I really should do something about it. You know, you stay up all night, you can't figure it out. Uh, typically with over adaptation, you're adapting to somebody else's, uh, goals. So this happens in intimate relationships. You know, one partner abuses the other, and you just find ways to adapt uh, to their domineering, you know, authoritative tendencies, for example. Okay, so the first is doing nothing. The second is over-adaptation. The third is agitation. You know, you've, you've got a rash on your arm, and you decide to pace around your house. Um, that's not actually going to solve um, the problem. The fourth strategy is incapacitation and or violence so with mass shootings 67 percent of the perpetrators exhibit agitation you know that's the majority uh, by far are agitated and so if you don't have a way to deal with that despair that leads to this agitation and you only have american culture you know top gun culture what do you do to resolve agitation well violence or if you think incapacitation, that's suicide. Well, they combine both of these uh, as one passive strategy because if you look at almost all of these mass shootings, they never have an exit plan. They, they have all these things lined up, the guns, the ammunition, the you know, bulletproof vest, whatever. They've figured out how to get into the school or the, the place where they're going to set up, blah, blah, blah. They don't think of anything past... Uh, that event because they're, most of them are hoping that the police kill them or they plan to turn the gun on themselves like the Columbine um, kids did. 
So uh, back to the, you know, this idea of despair, uh, Berardi in his book Heroes, um, that's the other book to read up on, along with The Violence Project, uh, refers to despair as the recognition of the truth of the present situation. And he says, despair must be met affectively, you know, emotionally. And the affect is only effective in relationship with a close friend. So if you can dialogue about the truth as you see it, what's happening in the world, I mean, certainly this podcast is a platform for me to do that, but I have friends that I talk to about what I think is uh, really troubling in the world. If that's done in a relational process, not on TikTok, uh, you can actually feel joy in the co-emergent understanding of despair. So that is a very active strategy of dealing with despair is to, you know, vocalize it within a, within a relationship. Again, the, the TA defines despair as the failure of dialogue between conscious reasoning. That's the adult ego state in the outside uh, world. That's from Beyond Games and Scripts. So we have this despair, we have this agitation, and everything in the culture says you resolve um, problems through competition and violence, just like in Top Gun, then this makes perfect sense uh, that that would be one thing you would would do is um, try and be a hero in Berardi's terms, which means you go from being a loser to winning in the moment uh, that you have the power. So what's what do I think is driving um, this despair? Of course, I'm critical of the virtual world and uh, in Berardi's book Heroes he talks about Hikikomori which is a a disorder that was uh, like it's not technically a disorder but it's a symptomatology described in uh, Japan and it's this kind of solitary self-confinement where the individual uh, shuts themselves away or they withdraw to be inside, pulling inward to be confined. It's basically a kind of acute social withdrawal is the person just lives inside their bedroom and they don't leave. Um, And, you know, Berardi wrote his book in 2015. This Hikikomori has been around for a little while. But with the COVID pandemic, uh, this normalized Hikikomori is you just live in your office or your room with the with the microphone and the your headphones and your computer to do Zoom meetings, etc. So I came up with an acronym, sort of mnemonic for Hikikomori. The acronym is is crazy. Like this is crazy to be shutting yourself away. And I'm being sarcastic because now it's just normal. So if you remember is crazy, you think is interferes with social um routines occupation academic functioning friendships relationships so is interferes with social and the person's confined uh most every day by their choice so it's egocentric they confine themselves and the r is relational situations are avoided that's the a and this another joke i said gen z's future dot 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 you know these uh millennials and post millennials are they just going to be living in rooms by themselves? Uh, and then the why is it's a half of a year, half year. Uh, so six months or more that um, the person is withdrawn, shut away uh, into their room. So if these mass shooters are living in virtual worlds, if more and more of us are shutting ourselves away, is that, going to help us solve this issue of despair? Well, no, of course not, because um, you're not actually in proximity with another relational body. You're in proximity with a machine, just like I am right now as I'm recording this. Okay, so I've already kind of um, hinted at this, but uh, it's situational power that this mass shooting event uh, provides. So Byrne says... uh, in one of his books, a gun, for example, often often called an equalizer, turns a crowd into a victim, 
and uh, into a, a braggart. Uh, so they're both the crowd is both a victim and a persecutor because they're you know they're insulting the person. So that when the person has a gun, they've equalized this. And he also says, or it switches the defensive into the offensive. And that's, of course, what happens with uh, these mass shooters. They go from being a victim to a persecutor. And Peterson and Densley in The Violence Project say, a gun and the will to murder are two of the purest forms of temporary situational power. So, again, they become the top gun, uh, the maverick in the situation, and everyone has to bow before them uh, because they're in Berardi's terms the hero they're going to be winning even though everybody's been on them their whole life they've been putting them down you know these people are so bad to them in that moment they're winning okay Byung-Chul Han has a whole book called The Expulsion of the Other and that's really what I think about uh, in terms of uh, American gun culture is you're trying to have that situational power. So there's ads for like AR-15s that says, consider your man card reissued. So you're a man when you have an AR-15, or ladies out there, uh, you have a Glock is ladies' home companion. So it, it, it actualizes this, um, this power, uh, the gun. And so what are, what are the rates? Well, back in 2018... I don't know that they've changed a lot, but in 2018, uh, 319 people were shot every day. 106 people uh, are killed on an average day in the U.S. The United States is number one in the world in gun ownership. 88 weapons for every 100 citizens. I think that's actually um, a low number. Those are both uh, stats from Berardi in 2015. I think it's over... 100 guns per 100 citizens. But in the Violence Project, they say since 2006, Americans have acquired an estimated 150 million new or imported firearms on top of the 250 million guns already in circulation. So that's 400 million total, uh, which, yeah, would dispute what Berardi had said, but that was an older book. So something like 400 million guns in circulation in the US. And let's be clear, guns are made to kill people. Uh, they, they just have one function to kill. I mean, you can argue, kill a deer and different things, but an AR-15 is meant to kill people specifically. Um, there are now more guns than people in the country. Oh, here we go. 120 guns per 100 civilians. For a comparison, England and Wales have fewer than five per 100 civilians. So we're number one. This is also from the Violence Project. Thanks to continued media reporting, mass shootings have evolved into a sort of cultural meme, an idea or practice transmitted like a virus from person to person, often via the media, that takes on a life of its own as it propagates. So that's really, I mean, I'm sure you've heard people in conversation say, oh, I saw this meme uh, about this thing and they want to tell you about it because it relates to you or something. A meme is a simulacra. I mean, it's a copy without an original. So think of the uh, the quote that's attributed uh, to Einstein about the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Right? You can see that quote with his picture next to it and a bunch of different funny ways. Uh, but Einstein never said that. <laughs> it's been attributed to him across time it, it came out of uh, AA and NA pamphlets there were similar kind of references in the 80s and there's also a book I think it's called Sudden Death uh, in 1983 that had that quote verbatim so somebody read that somewhere heard it told somebody and over time it was copied and copied and copied until it became Einstein's quote but now if you ask most people I imagine who said that they would say it was Einstein, but but that's not actually correct. But if more people think that it was Einstein than not, then we're grappling with this issue of real versus hyper real. And so the uh, 
the idea that a, a mass shooting is now just uh, a thing, uh, which a thing is information or, or can be information, can be turned into a meme, uh, you know, functions two specific ways. One is now if you want to learn how to be a mass shooter, very easy to do. Look up online. You can find all kinds of information about it. But it also distances us from the actual event because we just call it this thing mass shooting versus we called Columbine. Columbine. I mean, I know we refer to Uvalde for Uvalde, Texas and what happened in Highland Park. Uh, but there's a different understanding of the event because you're saying it's just a copy of something. For when Columbine happened, nothing like that had ever happened before in the United States. Um, there were certainly mass shootings and different things, but nothing like that had ever happened. So it was a new event. It was also, you know, live on television. The stuff was still unfolding. But now we just have the memification of mass shootings, which distances us from the actual event. And so um, to be real provocative, what I'm saying is these mass shootings are not taking place because we've reduced them to a kind of category, a kind of classification. Peterson Densley go on, they say, we now live in a society in which self-promotion is a constant. Platforms like Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube are powered by a framework that encourages rewards and creates performance. They are driven in large part by spectacle, and they have, in turn, made it much easier for someone both to create the spectacle of gruesome violence and to distribute it widely by themselves. So the simulation of the violence, right? It's simulated by the shooter who's copying other mass shootings and it's propagated through online platforms by sharing these copies of copies of copies. And that this is like a grotesque version of that, but that's happening with all information um, constantly being uh, uploaded and shared is just is just this giant simulacra. And um, most of it, like like they say, is up really about performance. And if you think of these mass shootings, it's a kind of exhibition. Uh, and it's, you know, there's often costumes involved, uh, but the person very much wants notoriety, which is why I was so sickened after the Highland Park shooting, because they, all I saw was the, the shooter's picture and his name over and over again. That's exactly what these shooters want to have happen they want to go viral uh, based on this event based on their quote-unquote body count i mean it's very sick um so the the simulation you know i think you can look at it both ways in terms of these are recreations of previous um shootings but these people are living in virtual worlds where all they're doing is reproducing simulations in order to get notoriety, get status to followers, etc. It's all about exhibitionism, uh, self-promotion, uh, status, visibility. So rather than thinking of these mass shootings as these extreme outliers, which of course they are terrible and horrific and I'm terrified for my own family, this is the natural progression of living in this kind of simulated uh, reality because the followers, the subscribers, you know, just algorithms in general do not care what is, you know, creating the most activity in the network. It doesn't matter if it's mass violence or it's peaceful, loving pictures of unicorns, that kind of thing. Uh, it's amoral, these, these uh, digital systems, which I've already talked about on here. Uh, the other quote from The Violence Project, they say, you know, this is a lot about fame seeking in the idolization of fame. You know, the, it's the celebrity culture of the United States. And they say among young people, especially becoming famous, that is measured by the number of likes and followers on Instagram and Twitter and being imitated as on TikTok is considered the ultimate form of success. So if you're feeling despair and you think that you can resolve that uh, through fame and celebrity, well, this is one option specifically for males. It's something like 98% of mass shooters are males. Uh, that this kind of maverick, top gun, 
you know, misogynistic, you know, very masculine, uh, violent uh, project is a way to become visible, uh, viral. Okay, so it's, I think, really, there's that technical aspect of the digital world, but the larger ideology uh, in Western culture, but I think specifically in American culture, is uh, social Darwinism. It's a kill or be killed kind of uh, idea. Um, strong individuals survive, you know, weak individuals die out, that kind of thing. You know, the survival of the fittest, fittest natural selection, competition, of course, that's an element of uh, human nature and just nature in general. But it, uh, Berardi talks about this um, in his book, After the Future. He says that it both imposes and legitimizes the violent law of the strongest which is the pretext to a war against human society. So it's this, this self versus other, or Han's book, The Expulsion of the Other. It's like, I got to win, and I'm in competition with you. So uh, the extreme version of that is I'm going to kill you. And if you're weak, uh, you deserve it, you know, because I'm, I'm the strongest, I'm the most fittest. Um, that's just how... Uh, Darwinian nature works, etc. Of course, all of that misses just how cooperative human nature is, how good we are at working together to make things happen. Uh, so Han talks about, you know, what's emerging now is the achievement subject. We're compelled to perform more and more in con constant competition with oneself. You know, this idea of self-optimization. He has books uh, titled The Burnout Society, The Transparency Society, where he outlines uh, this, that it's really stemming from this social Darwinian uh, ideology. And you see that manifest in the actual um, mass shooting. So in a way, we have uh, an ideology, which is a simulation, and it's instantiated in the virtual world that these mass shooters are living in. Um, I should say, one of the things that was noted in the Violence Project was violent video games do not have any causal um, effect in terms of mass shootings, but the unempathy that the person experiences, the inability to recognize feelings in themselves or others, that's based on living in this simulated uh, world um, much of the time but so my point being okay it might not be the video games themselves but uh, you know most of these first person shooter games are about killing other people but if everything so, so that's not going to make somebody kill somebody but if everything in the society is about winning and that there's strong people and weak people you know that it's impossible to get outside of that social Darwinian uh, frame of reference so one more thing, this is from Berardi. The idea of evolution has progressively ceased to coincide with economic expansion. And we are now faced with the challenge of learning to rethink evolution beyond the expectation of growth, beyond the conceptual framework of capitalism and accumulation. So that, that social Darwinian ideology was and has been promoted as a way to authenticate capitalism and uh, consumerism going after what you want that's a sort of birthright is this kill or be killed mentality that's uh, in in the u.s it's 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 unique because there's actually really next to no uh safety net there's no social program so uh the weak die off the strong survive uh which is totally uh, absurd but that my point being that um that we can't we can't continuously think of ourselves as expansionary like we think of the economy as constantly needing to grow and i could talk about this at a different time you know in terms of buddhism which is which is sees um 
kind of satisfaction through renunciation, not through accumulation and growth and getting bigger, stronger, faster, that kind of thing. Okay, so how does this relate again to the mass shooters? This is from Berardi. It's not kill or be killed, it's kill and be killed in the event. The mass murderer is someone who believes in the right of the fittest and the strongest to win in the social game, but he also knows or senses that he is not the fittest nor the strongest, so he opts for the only possible act of retaliation and self-assertion to kill and be killed. So he's he's been programmed to think that if he works hard, he can fulfill the American dream, especially if he's if he's white. Uh, that's a sort of automatic in their mind, but they feel like a loser. So they feel like they're a victim. And so that's the only way to assure themselves is by getting revenge because uh, other people are not okay, they are not okay. So despite the level of planning that many perpetrators put into their attacks, they rarely have escape plans because the shootings are meant to be their final acts. But a mass shooting is a unique form of suicide, an angry one meant to cause as much harm as possible. And I'll talk more about um, what that means um, in terms of game analysis. One other quote from Berardi, and again, Heroes, uh, the subtitle is Mass Murder and Suicide. Highly recommend it. Um, He says, for the spectacular mass murderer, the aim is to break the mirror of the spectacle. For him, the border between reality and imagination are blurred, indistinct, distorted. He wants to take part in the spectacle so that the spectacle may become life and ultimately death. It speaks to the illogic of the event because if you're wanting notoriety and to go viral on the internet, um, why would you create a situation where you die and you never experience that thing? It's, I think, has a lot to do with this sense of immortality um, and not even being able to cope with the idea of your own death uh, so that you could you could live in such a fantasy world. That's what he's speaking to, uh, you know, this kind of depersonalization that they're experiencing where real and imaginary um, are so uh, indistinguishable. I mean, if you think of the Aurora, Colorado um, movie theater shooting, James Holmes, um, and you read some of that, which is in this this book. Uh, it's not clear that he really understood what was part of the movie and what was not, unless that was kind of an act and part of you know pleading insanity in that case or something. But um, okay, moving on. So when Eric Byrne talks about uh, the drama triangle, which is these three roles the persecutor, rescuer, and victim. It's an inverted triangle. Um, The persecutor is sort of this John Wayne, you know, shoot you down. I mean, Trump is an easy example. The arrogant position, I'm okay, you're not okay. And the rescuer, again, being someone like Biden, who just manages the frames of reference, doesn't put anything about themselves uh, forward, this kind of futility. And then in the United States, the us citizens are treated as uh, victims that we're helpless and hopeless and we can't do anything for ourselves. We need these elites to take care of us and save us and blah, blah, blah. So when when Byrne is talking about uh, persecutors specifically, uh, he says they start crusades and some imagined inferiors or enemies. This is the arrogant position. At worst, a killer's and at best, a meddler's for people who make it their business to help the not okay others with things they don't want to be helped with. So what I think is happening with these mass shootings, getting getting away from, are they mentally ill? Are they not mentally ill? This dichotomy, which again, takes us away from the actual event and makes it so the event did not um, take place. You, you have to be insane to shoot innocent people. I mean, why would we even discuss that? I mean, that's another podcast about mental health and and that sort of thing. Uh, But if we look at it from a game analysis perspective, the person feels not okay. They're they're a victim. They've been bullied. They might actually have legitimate trauma. Most of them do. Uh, And so they feel like a loser uh, and they want to be a winner. And so they achieve this winning for the moment, as Berardi talks about, 
when they move into this one-up position, this persecutor position, you know, the, uh, the egocentric, um, arrogant, you know, selfish kind of uh, position. And so there's, there's two different games that I think um, relate to this. One is called Kick Me. And so if <clears throat> I'm going to sound stereotypical just <laughs> to make an example, but the goth kid, the emu or whatever, all black, going to school, head down, you know, maybe disheveled, uh, invites, invites is a strong word, but uh, it's late, I need to get home soon. So invite someone to kick them, so they get made fun of, they get bullied, and then that authorizes them to then structure their time by telling other people, this always happens to me. I get kicked by these other people, which I'm not advocating for bullying or saying that that's okay, but that negates any responsibility for why it is they keep getting kicked by people. But so my guess is that these shooters play the kick me game. And so that's, a, that's largely played from a victim uh, position. I talk about this with psychotherapy clients all the time. So if you keep getting kicked and kicked uh, and you feel a sense of inferiority, then you wait for... Uh, the perfect moment to uh, transcend that sense of victimhood and you become the persecutor because you have the power by way of having uh, guns. You're not a victim anymore. You know, you're the top gun um, kind of thing. And the game that is played from that position is called Now I've Got You, You Son of a So... Think about if you're as old as me, people used to say going postal, that there were these shootings at like uh, the through the postal service is the person gets fired from their job and they feel victimized like they didn't do anything wrong. They shouldn't have been fired, whatever. And then they come back the next day, obviously angry, uh, and they decide to shoot their boss or shoot other co-workers because it's a victim persecutor switch. Um, that's the drama is when you switch roles on the dra drama triangle. With examples of these most recent mass shooters, they pay attention and analyze all this information and they have journals about how people have wronged them and all this, all this analytical stuff. And then when the moment is seized, they say, now I've got you, you SOB. And so, so that is, I think, really a game that represents uh, this kind of social Darwinian, survival of the fittest um, ideology that really, uh, I think, aligns uh, with capitalism because the, to become the, the winner is to be the one with the most capital. You know, what are, what are the followers and and retweets and subscribers amounts to money you know that's and it's accelerated uh and transmitted in the virtual world you know very rapidly so in order to get to that status you have to um you have to go beyond that sense of being a loser a victim and in the moment you win of course it's not logical but the now i've got you son of a bitch, is really this position of um i think for these shooters i'm not okay you're not okay and they're not okay uh, but they feel okay uh, momentarily in that in that act of of the violence getting like Burns said everybody must bow before me and be as much like me as inferior people can it's what eric Fromm called the authoritarian um, character they will not submit they need others to submit um, to them okay so this is, uh, I think, the kind of playbook for these mass shooters. And here's what the Violence Project says. A mass shooting is a matter of restoration. Although they are the ones who raise the gun and pull the trigger, mass shooters very often see themselves as the victims. They feel some great injustice has been done to them, stew in their anger. They never forget, never forgive, and never let go nursing resentment over real or perceived injustices until eventually they strike back. So that's exactly the now I've got you son of a game. So coming back to 
hopefully this is full circle. Okay, if if Western ideology, this kind of hyper-individualism or uh, possessive individualism, like Durkheim said, is all about the ego equals reality, is your sense of who you are is real, it's a solid thing across time, then you look at these shooters and say, oh, he must have been mentally ill, he must have been traumatized or bullied, and yeah, it looks like that happens a lot of the time. And I'm not arguing whether that's true or not, but if this is the game that you know capitalists play is try and manipulate and deceive and con others for profit you know then then they would never forget because you'd always have the upper hand you know think of that now i've got you you sob this is exactly what michael jordan does watch that netflix documentary is like somebody slights him and he never forgets about it and he really hits him back you know somebody said that they could beat him on in one-on-one uh, after he had retired and he goes back and shows up at the practice and and destroys the guy embarrasses him humiliates him for even suggesting that he would be you know uh, better than him so never forget never forgive and never let go this is really consistent I think with American culture you know watch Top Gun, first one or the second one. See if anybody's playing now. I've got you, you SOB. Of course they are. So it's all about analyzing and then feeling self-righteous and justified about it. And here's what Burns says about that game specifically. The, the patient's child ego state uh, is full of suppressed anger, and he waits until someone does something to justify his expressing it. So somebody kicks him, the kick me game. Justification means that his adult goes along with his child and saying to his parent, no one can reasonably blame me for getting angry under such conditions. Thus, relieved of parental censure, he turns on the offender and says in effect, ha, no one can blame me, so now I've got you, etc. In transactional, lang- in transactional language, he gets a free mad, that is, free of guilt. So you get to be angry and not feel uh, guilty about it. I'll give you a quick uh, anecdotal example. I own a private practice in Mankato and I've had different associates um, across my time in this practice. So therapists that are working for the, the agency and one of them decided to, to quit, move on. And I was kind of sad about it. I was kind of hurt about it. Um, but I think I've also learned this, now I've got you, SOB, uh, certainly part of my, my history. And so when I saw um, that the person had taken their nameplate off the door, which I, of course, bought or had made or whatever, I was like, well, that's it. Now I'm justified in being angry at this person. How could they take you know what amounts to probably $50? this nameplate without asking me and I was like furious I was like I remember telling talking about this in one of the psychotherapy groups I had like steam coming out of my my ears and so what I did uh, eventually was sit down uh, and meditate and let that sort of burn out and realize oh that's exactly what I was doing I was playing that game that I learned pretty specifically from my dad Uh, but it's this idea of getting mad and feeling uh, free of guilt. You know, how else could you shoot a bunch of innocent people if you didn't think you were uh, justified in expressing your anger? You know, a lot of these shooters have manifestos and, and these things. Of course, a lot of them are, are racially uh, motivated, that kind of thing. Uh, what Byrne also says is uh, about this game specifically is, thank you for giving me an excuse to get angry. So they feel justified in it. They say, who wouldn't get angry under such conditions? Kind of a fascination when I was a kid was the JFK assassination. So I went to Dallas, Texas when I was a young kid. I watched Oliver Stone's movie JFK. Um, You know, there's one video of that that event, uh, the Zapruder film, um, and it wasn't released right away, of course. But think of all the the conspiracy theories, the ideas about you know the magic bullet theory and 
was it the CIA? Was it, you know, communists or the mafia? Or, you know, there's all kinds of different. It was Lee Harvey Oswald, you know, that's who shot Kennedy. Anyway, this, this recording um, that most of us have seen of John F. Kennedy, I think this one video creates all these different conspiracy theory ideas. Um, and now we're at a place where we have videos or, or um, excuse me, cameras everywhere, closed circuit ones, people holding their phones. We have all kinds of, um, of recording devices of what happens. And, and I'm reading the book, Han's latest book, Non-Things, right now, that I think what happens is when we have total information, you know, th that's additive. You can always add, like the JFK assassination, you can add this bit of information. What about Clay Shaw or what about this or that? Uh, you can add information. And, of course, online you can find the, the missing puzzle piece to your conspiratorial, you know, idea about what happened. Um, this is back in 1963. Think about how much information has been compiled based on that one simulation now with all of this uh, digital uh, digitalization of events, it, it just seems to me that we're, I guess I'm saying, I guess I'm saying the same thing I've already said, which we're awash in information, but that's not a story. So we have all the, and even this is an issue with the, the book, The Violence Project is really data driven which is makes it very comprehensive and useful but what is the story you're not going to get that from data points uh information and the story i think is that american identity is situated on this social darwinian ideology survival of the fittest by any means necessary you know, you have to become a winner based on self-reliance. Uh, and it doesn't matter really how you get there. So the Now I've Got You USOB game is instantiated in uh, the way, for example, Donald Trump. You know, how, how did he become a, a billionaire by ripping off contractors and, you know, going bankrupt and saying that's just like a part of the game. Uh, so I don't know what I'm I'm saying with with that, but let me let me close uh, with kind of how I got started thinking about this. Uh, I wrote a couple pages and sent it to a, a friend of mine with the title because I was just so infuriated with the uh, Highland Park um, mass shooting just because I had been studying this stuff. I went to a threat assessment review through one of the school districts, and so I and I was reading. Baudrillard. So I, I said the Highland Park mass shooting did not take place. And what I think Han is saying in his recent book, Non-Things, what I'm trying to say about digital information is that the real is disappearing. There's a disappearance. So what um, really happened, uh, you would hear that from the people that were there and they would talk about their histories and that's what we would focus on. But instead, uh, we've created a category which is then just a hashtag. It just gets, you know, it's part of this algorithmic world and you can share and uh, review this information. But it, it, like the way Baudrillard says that the Gulf War did not take place, which he obviously knew that hundreds, uh, at least 100,000 uh, Iraqis were killed, if not more. He's saying that the way that we experience these events through images alone, really, um, makes it so that they they didn't really happen in the way that they did. That's probably a, a crude way of saying it. But one of the things I wrote, but most of what I wrote was just kind of uh, psychotic in a way. Uh, but I think this maybe makes the, the point here a little bit. So talking about mass shootings, by fixating on the aftermath, example, what went wrong? How the police responded. Think of Uvalde, Texas, uh, or the manhunt, what should have been done. 
uh, forms of security. You know, should we should we arm teachers now? Should we have more guards? Should we have uh, metal detectors? Blah blah blah. Debating gun rights. So if there was a good guy with a gun there, maybe it would have been stopped. Uh, should we have more concealed carry uh, or militarized school guards? Actually, interestingly, in the violence project. Uh, having a, a guard with a gun actually increases the likelihood that a mass shooting would happen. It does not uh, decrease it because then that uh, is the specific target they want to shoot that person. So militarization of schools, teachers being armed, uh, this is all a fixation uh, in the media, the aftermath of the event. So it's after it took place. The timeline of the event commences after the shooting took place because we're only talking about why the Evaldi police didn't go in to the classroom and, and shoot the, the shooter in that case, for example, or uh, talking about the Highland Park um, mass shooter, their psychiatric histories, though they claimed they were going to kill themselves or they were going to kill people before and this is what was going on and blah, blah, blah. Uh, <clears throat> the event commences after the shooting took took place in the, in that sense of just going back in time you're not going right up to the event therefore the mass shooting which is not separate from the stories of those people involved in the event not to mention the history of the shooter did not take place if it took place it would be analyzed and examined as the social political history of cultural conditioning social darwinian uh ideology capitalism uh egocentrism that sort of thing uh, that crystallize with the individual carrying out the massacre. So don't compare me to Alex Jones. I'm not saying that these shootings are not happening, but the way that we um, experience the event through uh, images uh, whenever we want them. You know, there it's not like live television, like when I was a kid. I don't know anybody that really watches live television. Uh, I'm sure people do, but in my generation and in the newest ones it's you go online and you can do that at any time so even if the event is quote-unquote live that you're watching or doing you can pause it you know you have total control over it so that's what i'm kind of hinting at and again this is my first go go at uh this topic so i hope some of it made sense but you know maybe the question i could have started with I'll end with, which is what is a mass shooting? And then I know the Violence Project has their definition. Four people killed uh, by guns in a public place, you know, um, indiscriminate violence, that kind of thing. But it, 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 mass shooting is now a meme, so it doesn't matter the, the sort of clinical or the academic definition of it. We all have an idea of a mass shooting in our head, which means each one of these events is... Uh, in our minds, a simulation of a previous event. So it's not something new and terrifying. It's just like, oh, it's another mass shooting. Okay, so I'll close it there. Uh, thanks so much for your attention. I'm already thinking about Series 3. I'm not sure when that'll happen, but I appreciate uh, you listening and sharing this with other people. Thanks. I'm Andrew Archer. This is The Subversive Therapist. Take care.